welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today we're at the Miami Book Fair. My guest is Nana Kwame Uje Brenya. His critically acclaimed short story collection, Friday Black, just came out last month. Nana, thanks so much for coming on to talk about your work. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I really loved your collection. It just really grabbed me by the throat from the beginning. And several of the stories center around consumerism, yeah. run amok. And we have to talk about the title story, uh, Friday Black. It was actually one of my favorites. Would you mind reading from it a little bit? Yeah, for sure. All right, um, this is from Friday Black. Maybe 80 people rush through the gate, clawing and stampeding, pushing racks and bodies aside. Have you ever seen people run from a fire or gunshots? It's like that with less fear and more hunger. From my cabin, I see a child, a girl maybe six years old, disappear as a wave of consumer fervor swallows her up. She is sprawled face down with dirty shoe prints on her pink coat. Lance walks up to the small pink body. He's pulling a pallet jack and holding a huge push broom. He thrusts the broom head into her side and tries to sweep her onto the pallet jack so he can roll her to the section we've designated for bodies. As he touches her, a woman wearing a gray scarf pushes him away and yanks the girl to her feet. I imagine the mother explaining that her tiny daughter isn't dead yet. She pulls the little girl toward me. The girl limps and tries to keep up. And then I have to forget about them. Blue sun sleek puck. A man with wild eyes and a bubble vest screams as he grabs my left ankle. White foam drips from his mouth. I use my right foot to stomp his hand and I feel his fingers crush beneath my boots. He howls, sleek puck, son, while licking his injured hand. I look him in the eyes, deep red around the lids, redder at the corners. I understand him perfectly. What he's saying is this, my son. Loves me most on Christmas. I have him holidays. Me and him wants the one thing, only thing, his mother won't on me. Need to feel like father. That's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I understand that you actually worked in retail, and so you experienced a couple of Black Fridays. How did that inform your work here? Um, yes, I did. Um, unfortunately, or I guess fortunately at this point, worked s- several Black Fridays. And uh, I think it gave me like firsthand sort of experience seeing people really just totally you could s- caught up in the the event of, of the day, you know, totally feeling like today is a day to just the things come first very explicitly and to be sort of the intermediary between the people and the things in some cases. Um, and, and seeing how you might even be valued by people because you can get them to things or might be hated because you're not doing it perfectly, all those things. Um, I got to see it firsthand several times in a row, and I didn't like it, but I did it. And so, um, you know, I think for sure just getting like that sort of close view on the way that works, the way people act, um, helped me arrive at the story. Well, although this is a very serious matter, I mean, you've got people are dying, there's blood on the floor, bodies are piling up, you still manage to have uh, dark humor here throughout this story, as well as the collection as a whole. Why was that something that you wanted to include? Yeah, for me, I think just the way I engage in the world, 
often humor just helps me um, sort of not only one helps me process things but also helps me make sense of things uh, there's a lot of absurdity in the way people treat each other and it's not always haha funny but it's like funny like strange and so sometimes I just tease that out and make it funny like both of those types of funny um, I think uh, the humor the laughs can help the medicine go down I also think the humor is a way for me to sort of also like seize power away from like these like crazy systems that control us and sort of shackle us. So um, humor is really important for me for all those ways, and but primarily it's a way to keep the uh, um, the reader engaged. You also tackle racism head on in this collection, and your first story, the Finkelstein Five, centers around how your protagonist, a young black man, navigates the world. You know, he's mm-hmm. constantly adjusting his blackness on a ten point scale. And it finally reaches a 10, you know, when he's enraged by a gruesome racist attack where a man uh, beheads five black kids with a chainsaw. Why did you choose such an extreme premise to tell this story? Um, so, yeah, the the premise of the Finkelstein Five story, which is made extreme because of the sort of chainsaw, um, I, I the reason I, I do that is kind of for several reasons. On one On the one level... While it's like a different type of gruesome, I'm like, I guess I like to think about it as, you know, if you kill someone with a chainsaw or a gun, they're just as dead either way. And so, but something about the chainsaw is like, it seems a little easy, harder to ignore or not have that visceral immediate reaction that I think we should still have when a black person is murdered with a gun. And so um, it's my way to like kind of pull back that intensity that I think sometimes get lost just because of how normalized in our culture it is for black people to be murdered with impunity. Um, I also think because of the fact of the chainsaw, it's a way for me to look at the, me and the reader to be like, you know, look, I'm doing something here. I'm, there's eventually going to be a point being made. Uh, how bad does it have to be before like, we all care? You know, so I think the chainsaw does some of that work. And again, I hope that in the reader's mind, it kind of quickly comes back to, wait a second, this is something that is happening all the time. Maybe it's not that much of a hyperbole. Maybe it's actually closer to what is happening every day. Well, in another story, Zimmerland, you've created something like uh, Disneyland for racists where they can live out their sick fantasies about black men and supposed terrorists. Now, one of the modules players can choose in this world you've created has a lot of similarities to the fatal shooting of Trayvon Martin by George Zimmerman. Why did you want to approach this topic through um, a very dark, speculative story? Yeah. I think, um, so I was in college when Trayvon Martin was murdered, and I think that marked a pretty big shift in my consciousness, and I think for a long time... uh, and continuing, you know, I was sort of like traumatized by by Trayvon, the spectacle that was made after, and Zimmerman's whole his whole thing. And again, you have this sort of absurd, crazy, this absurd guy who engaged someone with a gun and then was made sort of made himself out to be this victim. And I I wanted to play with the idea of those who how do these people justify themselves? How do they end up making themselves feel like making themselves feel like they're the good guy? Um, how can it be that um, these um, otherwise seemingly regular people become murderers? 
And um, I wanted to, so I created a space that Zimmerland Park, a justice park, which allows sort of people who just, people to like sort of massage that sort of part of themselves that seeks violence in the name of what they call justice or in the, what the name of they call like order or something. And so it, it creates a space where I can explore sort of that kind of mentality, the ideas that go into that sort of um, violence, but also I can remove it just a little bit by not having to again have my characters being for real murdered, even though that is a, a different type of violence that this character is having to go through over and over and over again. You also touch on abortion in this collection. On uh, the story, Lark Street, aborted twins come back and speak to the man who was their father. Sure. Abortion is not something that we routinely see men writing about. Uh, why is it something that you wanted to uh, approach in this story? Yeah, I think in general, uh, abortion is like, it's almost like too taboo generally, you know? I think for me, uh, I think it's like a part of life that I thought deserved uh, attention and and, a, and and something that I thought, you know, I I can create a way to think about this. Um, and, and, the, and, and in the process of writing, I feel like I just, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting process. It was interesting for a lot of reasons because I think through the revision process, I kind of realized maybe especially as a man and the, the protagonist in the story is a man, he sort of arrives at, you know, maybe like your point of view or your view isn't the one that's like preeminent or the most important here. Maybe you need to kind of like sit down and take a step back. Um, and I think maybe that, and I think that was kind of an important thing for me to arrive at, an important thing for like this story to arrive at. But I had to like try to, to get there, you know? So I think um, generally it's it might be healthy for us to sort of normalize and be able to talk about abortion as a thing that exists in the world. Um, and, and I think we need to, again, like embrace um, women's right to choose and uh, make things that's terrifying, you know, because part of the, the issue for the for these the people in the story is like just how afraid and alone they sort of feel because of this thing. So um, I think that those are like all those things could have made me feel like in the what kind of the wind in the sails of the story. A lot of these stories. Um, have these speculative elements in them. They're, you know, part science fiction, and then there's some realism as well. As a writer, did you ever have any reluctance to go there? Because sometimes it seems like fiction that goes there is not taken as seriously. You know, I didn't, and then I I think until I, like, was older, and as I was starting to become more serious about trying to be a writer, I sort of received all these genre hierarchical like awarenesses um and that sucks you know i didn't i have no for me personally i, I have no feeling that sci-fi versus fantasy versus this that or the other you know i think right good writing is good writing and i and for me i very regularly if i need something to exist in a story i create it and so now it becomes speculative or whatever but um i don't actually think i, I write whatever story i need to write and so um I did, but I mean, all that said, I did have some reluctance for exactly what you're saying. I did sense that, you know, maybe I won't be taken seriously. Maybe this won't be the highest level, um, you know, book that it won't be thought of as the highest level, level I think it should be thought of as. But eventually, you know, you kind of have to let that go, or at least I did. Uh, 
for me, it's important to just write the best things I could write and see what happens because writing is hard enough already, you know. So I can't, you know, have my hands tied behind my back thinking about the genre stuff. And it, it is, but it, it was a big problem. And I spent a lot of time pointless, not pointless, but I spent a lot of time thinking, do I have to be this? Do I have to be that kind? Do I have to do this or that? And for me, I think the strength of my book is that it, it can be a lot of different things. And um, yeah, there's a lot of like literary world is weird for that reason. It's a lot of weird, you know, class, classist hierarchy stuff that. I mostly try to ignore at this point. It seems like that wasn't really something to worry about because you're getting so much praise for this book. I mean, you've been compared to Ellison and Chekhov and other great writers. What has that been like for you to have your first book be so well received? Um, it's a huge blessing for sure. Um, like I'm in Miami right now, which is weird. It's snowing in Syracuse probably right now where I teach and live most of the time. Um, but uh, it's 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 kind of harrowing because you know all of a sudden you have to change your personal narrative. Like all of a sudden you're like not on the outside looking in anymore. All of a sudden you're right in the middle of this thing. You have the name tag just like everybody else. <laughs> um, and that is, you know, it's a it's a it's a growing process. It's a changing process. It's still very new. The book is relative. The book has only been out for two weeks, which is or two and a half weeks. If, if you can, if I can even wrap my head around that. Maybe start maybe the first month now, and it's just so much has changed, but also so much is, still, is the same. Just now, people know about it, and uh, it's it's a it feels like it's a blessing. It feels really great. Um, it, it can be overwhelming. I try to take it one day at a time, but it's really nice. I feel grounded when I get to talk to people about it, and it's just actually talking about the work, how they they responded to it. That's nice. Well, you dedicate this book to your mom, who you say would ask, how can you be bored? How many books have you written? Is she a big reason that you became a writer? Um, I think she's a big reason I became an anything, you know, literally and figuratively. Um, she's an educator, you know, she was, uh, and I think she sort of, and she pushed me in just a lot of different ways. Also, I think um, on, a, like a, on a different level, even through her toughness, you know, Ghanaian immigrants, that whole thing. Uh, she still made sure to know like she like she loved me, and um, I knew that she loved me. And uh, I think that kind of thing, maybe as much as anything else, allows me to be whoever I'm going to be in the world. You know. Okay, I'd like to just ask you a couple questions now about your reading life. Yeah. Uh, what was the first thing you ever read that really resonated with you and just? you know, stayed with you and maybe changed how you saw things, how you saw yourself or how you saw the world? Um, I mean, there's so many different things. The thing that came to my head right now is a, is a like a why a children's book called Bud Not Buddy. It just jumps into my mind right now. I don't know why, <laughs> uh, but I remember reading that and it centered around a black kid and black family and that jumps in my head right now. But I um, later on, I read um, The Third Life of Grange Copeland by Alice Walker and that was big for me specifically because of how they gave you a character who you really, really were, thought was cool, then you learned to really, really hate, and then brought back to really, really like, I really like that. I like getting you to see, that, okay, you know, everyone's a person, and she, I think she did that so beautifully in that book. 
Well, on the flip side of that, did you ever have a book that maybe was very popular with readers or popular with critics, but you couldn't really get into it mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe you put it down or maybe you finished it and at the end you were not you were not understanding, you know, what all the hype was about? Yeah, I had to read Ulysses for a class, an MFA program. I don't get it. No, you know what? I like that Ulysses exists as a project. I like the experimentation, all the stuff. I don't think it's good. It doesn't entertain me. Um, I like having discussions about it sometimes. Mostly not, though. Um, I find it very, it's hard, you know, if you're so opaque that you you need like three textbooks to read the book, that's not my thing. Um, I can name a bunch of other, you know, literary titles probably, but that's some of the ones that jumps to my mind because some people say that's like the best novel of all time. And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, what would you say is the best novel of all time? I don't know. It's not Ulysses, though. <laughs> um, I I can't say what I don't I don't know what's what. what uh, well, what is your favorite for novels specifically? Yes. Um, it's hard. Thirty Life of Grain Copeland is important for is important to me. Um, but if you ask me in twenty minutes, I'll think of like thirty. I could think of thirty things. But today, that's a good answer because maybe people haven't read that yet. <laughs> Well, if you were in the situation where you could only read three books for the rest of your life and sort of pour over those and really study them, which three would you choose? Um, okay. Maybe. Okay, maybe. Ulysses. <laughs> no. No Ulysses. Maybe Jesus' son, Dennis Johnson. It's hard because some of them are really, I think I've already done that. But for now, okay, Jesus' son. Uh, maybe Song of Solomon. Um, Tony Morrison, and then um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I. I mean, Ulysses would be good because maybe by the time I was done, I would like really get it, you know. <laughs> but no. Um, again, let me just throw in what's on top of my head. I like um, American Gods is is a good book. Well, what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm still reading um, There There by Tommy Orange. Uh, it's a great book. I'm not just saying that because he gave me a good review. Um, and all you can ever, all you can ever know by Nicole Chung, and um, that's what, that's what's like in my suitcase right now. What about what you're writing right now? Are you already starting on a new project? I am um, doing a novel right now, a codenamed Top Secret Novel, and so uh, that's what I'm working on right now. Nana Kwame Ajay Brinya, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your book. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. You can find out how to win a free signed copy of Friday Black on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also support Nana Kwame and the show through buying the book on our site. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.